You're listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. My name is Luke Hedinger. For those of you who don't know me, I'm one of the pastors of Anthem uh, Church. And I love being a part of a church plant because we get to do things like this. And, th- and even though it's at first, it's like, ah, oh, that kind of stinks. We don't have a location. Um, it is so much fun to be able to come out here and worship in just this incredible, incredible weather. Um, so I'm glad you're here. If you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and look. We're, we're opening up to Nehemiah chapter 3 this morning. I'm going to try and keep the wind from blowing everything away. Um, Nehemiah chapter 3. Todd did a great job last week of, of introducing this, uh, this book, um, kind of setting the pace for what we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks and, and just talking about brokenness because that's what this, that's what this whole book is about, right? It's about, it's about brokenness being repaired, brokenness being made whole again. And, and as, as I've been going through uh, these next two chapters and studying them out, um, the first thing that I kept thinking about and what I kept coming to is we have a lot of brokenness in our world today, don't we? I mean, I feel like we say that a lot, but it is so true because like, like Nick was saying earlier, it, it seems like we don't, get, we don't get very far past one disaster before there's another one, right? Do you feel that? Like right now, it is, it is hard for me to wrap my mind. I'm a, I was talking to, to Josh this one. I'm a feeler, and so sometimes it's like, Okay, don't, don't open that door, because if you open that door, I don't, you know, it's like, it's like when your, your kids, you tell your kids to clean their room, and it's like they shove everything in the closet, and it's like, but if you open that closet, everything's going to come out, and then you have to address it. I'm a feeler, and so sometimes it, it is overwhelming to me to think about the fact that there are people right now, like as we sit here, there are people right now that are displaced around the world. There are people who are going through just terrible things, losing Losing homes, losing lives, losing loved ones, and, and, and there's, there's so much brokenness in our world. And, and I think the thing that we want to do oftentimes is, is we see that, and we want to rush out, and we want to fix it, and we want to we address the brokenness. And after all, that's what this whole book is about, right? It's, it's about addressing brokenness, but the question is, what happens when, when the people who are supposed to be addressing brokenness are broken themselves? Because that's what we see in Nehemiah right? That there is brokenness, that, that that's happening. But the brokenness that we see in Nehemiah is, is among the people that are supposed to be addressing brokenness. And, and that's kind of, if, if I had a big idea for you this morning, like if you, if you are a note taker, I think the thing that I would want you to write down is that in order to address the brokenness out there, we need to first address the brokenness in here, Right? Let me say that again, just so, you, just so you catch it. If we're going to address the brokenness out there, we have to first address the brokenness in here. And, and in order to, to really set that up, we have to ask the question. See, Nehemiah, he's going back to Jerusalem, and, and they're all about rebuilding this wall. All right? if, you missed, if you missed Todd's message last week, I, I encourage you to go back online, listen to it, because it, it sets the pace, it sets the stage, and, and they're rebuilding this wall. Right? And in order to understand what it means to, to address the brokenness in here, I think we have to first understand what it meant for them to have a wall. Because we hear about walls, and it's not quite the same thing in our culture today. Um, but a wall back then meant a lot. 
A wall back then meant um, security. It meant um, it meant that you could go about your day, that you, could, that you could do things like worship and you could go to the market and you could, you could lay your kids down at night and not have to worry about invading forces coming in and taking off your family. Or it, it, it meant that you didn't have to worry about wild animals coming in your midst and, and, and killing your family or your livestock or, or all these other things. To have a wall meant you had security. And that was a very important thing. It's important for us, but very important back then. But not only was it security, not only was it so that they could be safe and secure, right? But, but it also meant so much more than that. And we see that, we, we see that having a wall back then, it was a physical representation, especially for the Israelites, God's people, these people that when we read in Genesis 12, God's plan for Abraham, who was the father of these people, his plan for Abraham was that Abraham would be blessed so that he could bless the nations, right? That, that was the purpose for Abraham's blessings was that it could be a, he could be a conduit. His family would be a conduit, and that began to grow as Abraham became a nation, and therefore the nation of Israel was supposed to be a conduit of blessing for the people in this area, right? And, and we see that the broken down walls, it represented God's blessing being removed from God's people, and therefore, it brought shame on God. We see this in, um, in Nehemiah chapter 1, which we went over last week. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 3. I think I have it up here. Um, Nehemiah says, And they said to me, The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is great trouble, is in great trouble and shame. So he's saying, yeah, they're in trouble. They're, they're exposed to the elements, but there's also an element of shame in uh, verse 17, he says, you see the trouble we're in, we are in now, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned? Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. That word driven, it, it, derision, it means scorn, it means shame, it means that people would look at them and say, man, I thought they were God's people. I, I, thought, I thought they were supposed to be different. I thought they were supposed to be people who, who you looked at and, and you saw what it looked like to be blessed by God. You saw what it looked like to be people of God. Because again, that was the purpose. That was the purpose. And we, we even see that in 2 Chronicles chapter 6. It says, but I have chosen Jerusalem and that my name may be there. And I have chosen David to be over my people Israel. That's God talking to you saying, I've chosen the city to be my representation. I've chosen the city to proclaim what it looks like for me to be a good God. And then in verse, 27, or in verse 32, Solomon, he's, he, he's the king that built a temple in the midst of Jerusalem. And, and this is part of the dedication of that temple. Solomon says, likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people, Israel, comes from a far country for the sake of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm, when he comes and prays towards his house, hear from heaven your dwelling place and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your people Israel, and that they may know that this house that I have built is called by your name. You see what he's saying? In the, in the dedication prayer, this king is saying, look, God, when, when people come to this place, when they look to this city, let them see you. Even when a foreigner who doesn't know anything about God, when they look at Jerusalem, let them see you. The walls, it was a physical representation of God's protection, of his, 
of his blessing, of his goodness on the people, and yet it was broken. I mean, these people who were, they were supposed to be the people who were addressing the brokenness around them, and yet it's kind of like the question of what happens when a doctor's sick. Like, who do they call? You ever think about that? Like, who does a doctor call? When it, I mean, because I'm sure they're super critical of other doctors, right? Like, who do they call? Again, we look around and we say somebody should be doing something. Yes, but what happens when the people that are supposed to be doing something are the people that need healing themselves? What does that look like? What does that mean? Because, because God has called the Israelites to be a city that is set apart, to be a representation of his glory. And in the same way, we are called to be people who are set apart. We are called to be people who, who when people outside of our congregations and our, and our communities, when they look at us, they should see what it looks like to be people who are blessed by God. They should see what it looks like to be people who are set apart for God. And so I guess the question is, what does it look like if, if we are to engage the brokenness out there, but first, first deal with the brokenness in here, what does that look like to be set apart? That's, that's the question this morning. I think that's what we see in this, in this section. So if we, if we look at chapter 3, the first thing that we see is that if we are going to address the brokenness out there, the brokenness in here, it first has to be addressed, okay? That's the first thing. Brokenness has to be addressed. I'm going to read, I'm not going to read all of chapter 3 because, again, Nehemiah, he's, he's a journaler. I don't know, again, if you're, if you're one of these people, you love to journal, then Nehemiah, he's, he's like you. I, I, I'm the type of person that I start a journal on uh, January 1, and I'm like, I'm going to do it every year this year, and I make it two days, and then... I, that's it. That's my journal. <laughs> I, maybe, I maybe write in a month later and I look back like, oh, what all has God done? Oh, dear journal, it's a new year. Oh, I guess I messed that up. But <laughs> Nehemiah, he's writing this out. And I just want to read a little bit of chapter three because the work begins. They're, they're saying, all right, let's do this. Let's, we don't want to be people who live in shame anymore. We want to be people who represent God. So chapter three, verse one, then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hanel, and next to him, the men of Jericho built, and next to them, Zakur, the son of Imri, built. The sons of Hesanah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts and its bars, and next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, repaired, and next to them, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, son of Meshezabel. If you're in connection group and you're trying to read through these names and you're like, I can't wait till Sunday so we know how to actually pronounce these, your guess is as good as mine. So <laughs> they repaired, and next to them, Zadok, the son of Bana, repaired, and next to them, the Tekoites repaired. But their nobles would not stoop to serve their lord. Verse 6, Joida, the son of Pesa, and Meshulam, the son of Basoda, repaired the gate of Yeshana. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts and its bars, and next to them repaired Mel- Melatiah, the Gibeonite, the Jadon, the Merathite, the men of Gibeon and Mizpah, the seat of the governor of the province beyond the river. Next to them, Uziel, the son of Hariah, goldsmiths repaired. Next to him, Haniah, one of the perfumers repaired, and they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Next to them, Rephiah, the son of Hur, ruler of half the districts of Jerusalem, repaired. Next to them, Jediah, the son of Hermah, maybe, repaired, opposite the house. And next to him, 
Hattush, the son of Hashbaniah, repaired, and Malchajiah, the son of Haram, and Hashab, the son of Patha, Moab, repaired, another section in the Tower of the Ovens. Next to him, Shulam, the son of Haloash, repaired, half of the district of Jerusalem repaired, he and his daughters. Just a little further, verse 13. Hanan, the inhabitants of Zenoah, repaired the valley gate. They rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars, and repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the dung gate. Malkijah, the son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Beth Hakrab, repaired the dung gate. He rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. All right, let's just stop there. He, he continues to go on. He continues, and, and he's looking at all of these people, all of these people coming together, and, and, and we saw in chapters 1 and 2 that God laid on Nehemiah's heart this idea of, look, this should not be, right? This brokenness within God's people, this should not be. And we see that Nehemiah, he comes and he says, let's do this. And, and then all these people start to come together. And I love how he starts with the priest. And I believe there's a reason he starts with the priest. Because it shows us that this is more than just a wall. I, this, this is more than just protection, this is more than just them being afraid of their enemies because that's going to come. But this is more than that. And he starts with that. And it says that the priest, he starts to repair. And it says that he consecrates it. That idea of consecrating the wall, it meant that he set it apart for the service of God. He set it apart for the things of God. See, I think there are times in our lives where we have to look at ourselves and we have to say, okay, are there things in me that, that even though I should be one of these people and I want to be one of these people who goes out and who attacks brokenness and who addresses brokenness, but there's still things in my life that it's like, okay, God, you can have this, but, but this, I mean, you know, the, you don't really want that. I mean, you don't want to look in that closet, right? My room's clean. Just don't look under the bed. Like, you can, you can look at everything else just... Just not that part. See, there's more to it than that. The brokenness that comes, it has to be addressed in all areas of our lives. And we see that starts with the priest, but then it starts with, with all these other people that come from outside, these people like the governor of the land across the river and all these, the Tokoites and all these people, they were people that were coming from, from outside of the city. And they were coming in because this people, they were living in shame. And they said, we don't want this anymore. And they, they came in. All these people, they started to come in. And, and it says that, that not only that, but there were, there were people, we didn't get quite that far, but there were people, this one guy, he repairs the wall that was right across from his house. And as I was reading that, I kept thinking, like, it's been, okay, if you weren't here last week, this wall has been broken down for about 140 years. That's a long time. Right? Todd said it would, it's as long as, like, if you think about um, uh, Abraham Lincoln being assassinated, that would be about as much time. And, and now it's like, all right, we got to do something about this. And it's like, well, I mean, it's been a while. And this guy, the, the, it, it says he repaired it across from his house. You would think that it's like, yeah, wouldn't you have worried about that sooner? I mean, it's in your house. It's in your backyard. It's in, it's in your home, that brokenness. It's not out there. It's not, it's not somewhere. It's not, it's not in Cuba. It's not in, you know, those third world countries that, every, oh, we need to take Jesus there. We do. But Jesus needs to be Lord and King in our backyard as well. We can't address brokenness out there until we address brokenness in here. 
right? Until we become people who say, I don't, I don't want to live in this anymore. I don't want to live in the shame anymore. I don't want this anymore. What are the things in our lives that, that keep us down? The things that we're, that, we're, that we're setting aside for ourselves. It goes on and it talks about these, these people who, did you, did you catch it a couple times in there? It says that they, they built the gates and they set the bars and they set the, the iron and all these different things. See, uh, Nehemiah, he's a journaler, like I said, but he's not telling us how to build like a solid gate. He's giving us an overview of what's happening, and when he talks about the gates and the bars and the irons, he's saying this was done to completion. Like nothing's left out. I don't know, if you're like me, sometimes like um, I'll work on a car every now and then. Like I changed my radiator out a few years ago. I hit a deer and changed my radiator out. And uh, sure enough, after I was done, I had like a handful of bolts. I was like, I mean, they probably just put extras in there, right? Like they can just put those in a drawer and hope everything stays on. I, I think there are times in our lives where it's like we just, we think, well, good enough is good enough, Right? Like, I'm a pastor. I'm a, I'm a churchgoer. I grew up in a Christian home. I, I, you know, you fill in the blank. It's like, well, I don't look at porn. I don't, I don't gossip. I share prayer requests, right? <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, there, there are times in our lives where I, I think what we see in Nehemiah saying this, he's saying, look, we have to be people who, who are about our sanctification. We need to be people who, when God calls us to do something, we, we set our hearts to it. A few years ago, um, I, was, I told Salt Company this a while ago, but I was, I was uh, working with my uncle. I was doing construction and carpentry and stuff, and I, um, we, were, we were using a uh, air, gas nailer, a nail gun, and uh, I, was, I was putting this block up in the ceiling, and I went to, I went to nail it into this other other piece of wood, and I, right before I pulled the trigger, I thought, I don't really know where this nail's going to come out of this gun, because the head of it was weird, but I thought, ah, you know, it's probably fine, pulled the trigger, and all of a sudden, just, I felt, boom, just right on my hand, and I was up on a ladder, and I, <laughs> I looked down, and I was like, because <gasps> <laughs> the framing nail that I had just put in that gun was now sticking out of my hand like this, yeah, it was crazy. And I got down off the ladder, and I was holding my hand like this, and I, was just, I just kept staring at it. I'm like, is this real? And the guy I was working with, he's like, what'd you do? And, and he's like, hold on. And he goes to his tool belt, and he gets his pliers. And yeah, I know. I was like, get away from me. Like, I turned away. I was like, no, you're not touching me, right? So I went to the doctor, and, and uh, luckily they... I didn't break anything, didn't go through anything vital. They, they pulled it out, and it was, it was a terrible experience. But, but it was crazy because the next day when I went back to work, there were, like, the nail had been addressed. Like, that thing had been addressed. It had been taken out. But what I didn't know was that the thing that holds, the, if you've ever used a, a nailer, the thing that holds those nails together is a lot of glue and paper. There was a lot of, you know what was still in my hand? A lot of glue and paper. You see, there were still things in my hand that had to be addressed. Even though the nail's out. Even though the thing that's like would make people like, when I was sitting in the emergency room, uh, like this, just like trying not to faint, 
It was so funny to watch people walk past me, and they'd be walking past, they'd go like... <laughs> you see, the, the thing that would make people do a double take, maybe that's not in our lives, right? We don't, we don't have those sins. We don't have those big things. But there's still things in there that has to work its way out. Just, just because it doesn't look broken doesn't mean that it isn't broken. Just because it doesn't make people take a second glance doesn't mean that, that maybe it, it should. Maybe, maybe there are things in your life where, where you've gotten so comfortable with the brokenness that you don't even recognize it anymore. You don't even feel it anymore. Because after all, the nail's out, right? I mean, after all, that's, that's good. I mean, we're okay, right? So I think if we're going to be people who address brokenness out there, that has to be addressed in here. That's stuff. We can't be people who are just okay with just being okay. And I'm not talking about being perfect. Definitely not. But what I am saying is that we have to be people. I love, I love talking to Austin. I didn't tell him I was going to use him in an illustration, but Austin, he's the guy on staff with us for a salt company. And he was talking here recently about how he just wants to be more sensitive to the Holy Spirit, even when, even when he, he feels himself going towards those temptations and those sins that, that he used to struggle with, he wants to be so, so sensitive to that that he just confesses that. Because he doesn't, doesn't even want to go in that direction. Doesn't even want to hint. The Bible says don't even have a hint of sexual immorality. He says, I don't even want a hint of that. I want more of God. Right? I want to be somebody who's, who's whole and complete. We see this as, as we see these people coming together. But the other thing that I see is, as they're addressing brokenness is that they're all doing it together. Isn't that a beautiful picture? The people from, from all out there and people from in here, everybody's building their section and everybody's working together. Because you know what? If, if, if I say, okay, I'm going to build the wall. I'm going to build my section of the wall. And you're like, okay, this is going good. But then you look over and it's like, hey, hey, Keaton, like... <laughs> Dude, I'm building my section. What, where are you at, right? Because, because if somebody starts to come in at me, and they're like, okay, there's an eight-foot-wide, 12-foot-high wall here, but to five feet, I'll just go around it. And then, you know, it's like, I'll just go around this. See, as, as a church, as a community, as people, we're called to come together because that's when brokenness can really be addressed. Because I'll be honest with you, sometimes there are, there's brokenness in my life that I don't even see because I've been so, so content with it, so, so comfortable with it. And it isn't until I get into to groups like our connection group where people can say, hey, Luke, that's, you know, that's really not good. And I can say, yeah, you're absolutely right. That's not good. And I need to repent of that. And I need to, I need to give those things over to God. So, so I think that's a good question for, for all of us. Do we allow people to speak into our lives? Do we, do we come together? Or do we just say, nah, I'm, I'm good, right? I'm the Lone Ranger Christian. No, it doesn't work out for anybody else, but I'm sure it will for me because I'm just that spiritual. If that's you, I can, spoiler alert, it's not going to work out. So if you're not in a connection group, get in a connection group. There's a plug for that, all right? He goes on, not only do we need to address the brokenness, right? That it, needs to be, it needs to be addressed by all people in all places in completeness, but we need to listen to the right voices, okay? If we're going to be people who address brokenness out there and 
but address brokenness in here first. We have to listen to the right voices because opposition will come. And chapter 4 says this, Now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. And he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah, the Ammonite, was beside him, and he said, Yes, what are they building? If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Let's stop there. I, I, love, I love the book of Nehemiah. As, as, I've, been, as I've been studying out, see, uh, Samlet and Tobiah, these are, these are guys, as Todd said last week, they're kind of the bad guys in this story. And they come up and they see what's happening and they see that, that all of God's people are addressing the brokenness in there and they're doing it to completion and that they're about it. And he comes up and he's, he's this guy that lives to the north and, and he's most likely a commander of, of the army that, that lives in the north and he's saying, no, this isn't good. See, when we seek to be people who are set apart, we will come in opposition with, with people who, who seek to just go with the flow, just to, to, to say, you know, truth is relative, all those different things, we will come up against things like that. And, and do you see, I, I love what Samuelette, he he's talking about. First of all, he says, you think you can do anything for yourself? It's been 140 years. You really think you can rebuild this wall? Really? When, when it hasn't been done up until now, when you have failed over and over and over and over and over again, even though you've said, this time it'll be different. This time, this time things will be different. This time it'll be better. Sambalat comes up and says, no, I won't. You really think it will? He goes on and he says, you, you think you're, you you're going to sacrifice? He says, you, you think that God is going to listen to you? You think you're going to be a people who, who proclaim how good God is when your walls are broken down, when you can't be a people who's, who's healed yourself, who's restored yourself, you think you're going to help others be restored? See, that, that idea of sacrifice, it's not only, not only worship, that they couldn't truly worship until their walls were built back up. They couldn't truly be the city that God wanted them to be until the, the physical representation of that was built back up. But I believe that what he's saying is that when, when things were, were finished, especially, and that they would, they would sacrifice and they would rejoice, and, and he's saying, that's never going to happen. Not only can you not do it for yourself, God's not going to listen to you either. Like, do you know who you are? Do you know, do you know what you've done? You do. You do. You know who you are. You know how bad you are. And you think God is going to listen to you. He goes on and he says, he says, you think, you think you're going to get this done in a day? I don't know. The people must have been like booking. Like they must have been going like, like home makeover, like HGTV fast. Like, because he's like, what? Look at these people. Like, and he's standing like, I have an extremely overactive imagination. In my mind, he's standing before this army and his little crony friend, Tobias, standing like back to, you know, quiet. And he's like, hey, everybody, look at these people. They think they're going to do this in a day. It's not going to be a day. It's been 140 years. He's saying, you don't know how hard it's going to be to address some of the things you need to address to do what you want to do. You have no idea the depths that you're going to have to go. You think you're going to help people out there? You have no idea how hard it's going to be to address some of the brokenness in your own families. 
You have no idea how hard it's going to be to live a pure life when everybody else is telling you that that's not even normal. You have no idea how hard it's going to be to not cheat on your taxes when everybody else says it's fine. You have no idea how hard it's going to be when, when people come to you and they say, oh, man, it must be so hard, and they, and they pour into it, and they help you just, just be more and more dependent and go, go further and further away from who God truly wants you to be. You have no idea how hard that's going to be. I was, I was thinking about my basement when I was reading this. Like, I'm, I'm still in the middle of rebuilding, like, like refinishing my basement in this house that we bought. And, and I, we helped uh, Dallas and Becca move into their house yesterday. And it's, guys, seriously, it's a joy to be a part of a community of people that can come together and do things like that together. But as I was, as I was moving into their house, I'll confess right now, I'm like, God, help me not covet. Help me not covet. Their basement is finished, and it looks beautiful. And I kept thinking, man, if somebody would have told me how hard it would have been to finish my basement, I think I would have been like, yeah, hard pass, Right? And it's the same in our, in our spiritual lives. I think there's, there's so many times where it's like we, we have no idea how hard it's going to be until we actually do it. I, I love a quote from G.K. Chesterton. He says, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. Isn't that good? Again, he says, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. See, this is not an easy task that we're called to. This isn't, this isn't something that just happens by accident. We are called to be people who engage the brokenness within us. And there's opposition that comes, and, and he continues to, to, to go. And Sambala, his, his little crony, in my mind, I'm thinking, have you ever seen uh, uh, the Christmas story? Have you ever seen that? Like those bullies in that movie? It's, no, nobody. All right. It plays like for 24 hours right before Christmas. You're right? <laughs> All right, the, the big bully, you know, he's got the red hair. He's got the little crony with the little, like, newsy cap on, you know, and he's always, like, comes out behind. He's like, yeah, get away, you know, and that's what I imagine Tobiah. He's like, yeah, look at them. If a fox comes up on it, it'll break it, you know, and, and that's not just, like, there, there were a lot of foxes in that area, actually. There were a lot of, there were a lot of foxes, and, and he's saying, he's just, he's just trying to get in their head, like Little League Baseball, you know, you go up and... I used to hate going up to bat in Little League Baseball. I have all the, like, the catcher behind the base saying, you're not going to hit this, you're not going to hit this, and, the, and everybody in the outfield yelling at you, and then me, in my own mind, being like, they're absolutely right. I am not, what am I doing here? They're trying to get in their head, right? They're trying to get them to believe things that are not true. And yet, and yet the, question, and, and the question is, who's... Whose voice are they going to listen to? Because we see the, it, it goes from bad to worse because then in, in chapter 4 it says that uh, not only did, they, did Nehemiah, he responds in prayer and he begins to pray to God and he sends up this prayer and he's like, God, God, send it back on them, right? Send it back on them. But then he, he says, all right, let's, let's keep working. And they built it up because they had a mind to work in verse 7. But when Sambalat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashadites heard that the repairing of the wall of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. He's saying, look, it went from bad to worse. They just go from jeering at them saying, you think God's going to listen to you? You think all this is going to happen? He's like, all right, we're physically going to stop them. 
And, and all those people, the Ammonites and the Ashadites, and it's, it, it, it represents all the people on all sides, to the north, the south, the east, the west. All of the, all of the neighbors of Jerusalem are coming together to stop them. And yet, and yet it's so interesting because, because this is the Persian um, empire that we're talking about. And if you remember last week, the king of the Persians, he's the one that sent Nehemiah, and he's like, yeah, go take him. And so, so they're just... They're big blowhards is what they are. Like, they're coming out and they're saying, we're going to come at you in force. But it's all empty threats. See, the reality is that, that the, the question in that, whose voice are we going to listen to? And what we see the, the Israelites do in verse, verse 10, it says, In Judah it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. All right, so, so what's happening is, is all these, these people, the, the people in Jerusalem are saying, this is, they're right. We think we can do this. What are we thinking? This is way harder than what we expected. God's obviously not listening to us because, because things aren't going the way we think they should. And they said, even our enemies say that this is going to come in, they're going to do this, and they're going to do that, and all. And they begin to listen to the lies outside of them instead of listening to the truth of what God has them doing. See, if we are going to be people who engage brokenness out there, we have to be people who engage brokenness in here. And part of that is listening to the right voice because there are lies that come at us that are so easy to believe, right? Lies about who we used to be and lies about what we used to do and lies about how, how we're, we can't, we, we think we can do that, we can't do that. And it gets on our own head and, and, and we... We just want to give up, and it comes from, from without, and it comes from within. Guys, I'll be honest with you this morning. Like, I'm, I'm struggling a little bit even now. Like, I'm, I'm a feeler, like I said, and, and there are times where I'm just, I struggle with this. Like, my wife, some of you know our story. My daughter's, she's got a lot of, she was born with a lot of different things, and she's been pretty healthy, and, and actually, this is the first year. She's, she's 11. She's about to be 12. This is the first year of her life that she's never been hospitalized for an extended period of time. First year. And for a while now, I've just been feeling like, God, like this unsettledness. You know, this, this feeling of like, this isn't, really, is this going to happen? Like, is she going to stay healthy? And, and this morning, my wife texted me and she said, yeah, we're not going to make it to church because my, uh, Elena, my daughter, she's, she's getting a fever and, and we did blood work last week, and the blood work came, came back, and it, it's not, it doesn't look super great. And there's, things are elevated, and, and it, it shouldn't be elevated. And, and, and to top it all off, um, many of you don't know this, but um, Austin and I were leaving for a, a vision trip to go overseas um, next week. This time next week, we'll be in a plane going overseas. And every single time I've ever done anything like that, with going overseas or, or doing a short-term trip or anything like that, Elena has gotten sick every single time. Every time. And I didn't realize it until I was talking to Matthew yesterday. I didn't even realize it. And, and within me, I'll, I'll let you just look into my own heart. There, there, are, there are things within me that's like, it's just so unsettling. And it's so tempting to listen to the voices of, of the sickness and say, you can't really do that. Maybe you should just call this off. 
You don't know what's in your future. The doctors say this. Your, your transplant coordinator, she says this. It's so easy to believe lies because lies sound more true than truth, don't they? Sometimes. And it's so easy to go into those areas and say, you're right, this is who I am. You're right, my future, it's, I don't know what it's going to be. You're right, I should just give up and lay down. And yet, the, as, as we were talking in teachers meeting, Todd told me that, you know, the idea of prioritizing means you give the right weight to the right things. Have you ever heard that before? Prioritizing means you give the right weight to the right things. And I think there are times in our lives where when, when opposition comes, whether it's from without or within, what we need to stop and do is we need to stop and say, okay, what weight am I giving those things in my life? What weight am I giving this fear in my life that, that my daughter's going to go back into the hospital? What weight am I giving this fear in my life that, that people, are, they know who I am. They know I can't do this. They, they know this about me. What weight are we giving those things as opposed to the weight that we give the things of God? Where in Ephesians chapter 2, it says that, that, yeah, we were dead in our sin and our trespasses and all those things. But God, being rich in mercy, God saved us. He made us new. The Bible says that we are a new creature. We are a new creation. We are more than conquerors through him who saved us. You see, we can be people who engage brokenness because we can be people who, who address brokenness in here and we can be people who walk in restoration. I believe that with all my heart because the Bible says that we don't have to be slaves to sin anymore. We don't have to be slaves to fear anymore. We have a good father. You guys see that? Do you guys see that? Do you understand that? Do you feel that? He, he goes on, and I love Nehemiah's. I, I want to I end it here. I, I love Nehemiah's reaction. He says, he says, verse 14, And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. You see, what Nehemiah says there, he says, Look, Remember God. Give the right things the right weight. And, and the, the idea of God being great and terrible, it's, it, that's, that's another translation of that. It's like, it's like watching a storm. Like in, in Matthew, when, uh, or in the Gospels, when Jesus calmed the storm, right? The disciples, I, I don't know if you remember the story, but the disciples were afraid that there was a storm. And then Jesus wakes up and he's like, oh, peace, be still, I'm tired, right? And the wind and the waves died down, and then it says the disciples were terrified. See, they're afraid of the storm, but then it's like, oh, who, wait a second, who's this guy? Who's this guy that he can do that? See, that's our God, right? That's our God who can calm the wind and the waves in our lives. That's, that's our God. And see, what, what Nehemiah says, he says, remember those around you who are looking at you and they're, they're looking at see, to, to see how do you respond to this? How do you respond to everybody else going and doing those things that you know you shouldn't do? How do you respond to these things? What does that look like in your life? Are you remembering God? Are you giving the right things the right weight? And he ends it, I... I spent too much time on the front end because he ends it really awesome because the, the, the plan there after that is he says, okay, this is what we're going to do. He, he says, we're going we're gonna to shift the weight and you're going you're gonna to carry these burdens because the rubble is heavy and, and things are hard and, and that's true. 
but we're going to do this. We're going to start to work. And he, he says, I'm going to put a trowel in your hand, and you're going to carry a sword. And they, they move forward building the wall with, with one hand on building and one hand on defending. Because I believe that if we're going to address the, the brokenness within, we have to walk forward understanding that we have to continually be built up in who Christ says that we are, but also understand that those oppositions will come. And those other voices will come, and those lies will come. And yet, what does it look like for us to say, okay, I'm going to continue to to go deep in my faith. I'm going to continue to to hold that sword that says, you know, all these things that are coming in at me, no. No. That's not going to happen. Or no, even if that happens, I will serve the Lord. Even if those things come true. Even if my daughter goes to the hospital, I will stay firm in the Lord, right? What does it look like for us to continue to build up in our lives but, but be about the work? I think some of us need to, we need to step up and we need, to, we need to own our faith and we need to say, all right, I am no longer going to deal with this little junk in my life. I want God. See, Anthem Church, guys, maybe this is your first time here, this is what we want to be as a community of people. We want to be people who address brokenness out there because we have to be. That's what the Bible calls us to be. But we can't address brokenness out there until we address the brokenness in here. Until we begin to confess sin. Until we begin to come together in community and, and help people call those things out. Until we, we are about building ourselves up but also recognizing the lies that are coming and stopping those things. Because in Christ, we have the power to do that. I, I want to, I told you I was ending, and I'm going to. But the last verse I want to leave with you as we think through that. I love 2 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Do you know what that tells me? It tells me that through Christ, through Christ, I have the power to walk free from these things. I have the power to walk as a person who's restored, who's able to to look at brokenness and say, okay, God, what do you want me to do about that? But Anthem Church, we have to continue to say, all right, what do I do with the brokenness in here before I go out there? Let's let's pray. God, I, I thank you and I praise you and I Praise you for your goodness and your mercy in just even in, in talking through these things. And I think there's so many times where <clears throat> or it, this is, it's difficult, God, and there are lies that come and, and we all have histories. And we all have things that, that maybe we've done that we are just not proud of. And, um, and yet, God, we, we praise you that you, that it's through the knowledge of you, through, through obedience to you, through love for you, that we are equipped to to walk as people who are restored and God I pray that you would help us to to be about your work help us God to be building those walls God help us to be to be building that that um, that understanding of who we are in you but God I pray that you would help us to take up the sword to defend against those lies that are coming in help us to be a community of people like that God and it's in your name amen